Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. One of the founding fathers of the Inner Church Holiness Convention was H.E. Shmuel. Not only was he a spiritual giant, but he was a prince of a preacher. He preached this message back in 1981 at the Dayton Inner Church Holiness Convention, and he titles it, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. I know you're going to enjoy this classic sermon. been a lot of questions concerning my health and myself, so maybe this is the time to blow it out. <laughs> Amen. I uh, came to this convention and I'm here with a measure of fear and trepidation, but not for myself. I come with fear and trepidation for the convention and for what will happen and transpire in this place. And I'm concerned that we have in this convention, a genuine, authentic move of God. And uh, though I will read a verse of scripture, I will make some remarks. Please don't hold anyone accountable for whatever I say. I may be get beside myself, who knows, and say some things that ought not in the minds of some people to be said. I may refrain. I'm not sure what I will say. I had, frankly, I had written to Brother Richard Humble and said, Richard, I, uh, may I back up? I think I need to explain in the light of my dear friend Tom, Reme Tom Reed's remark. I had agreed to preach in this service. And that agreement to preach in this service was that they would take certain responsibilities off for me, which they have. Then in February, when I had the heart attack, uh, the, uh, it was a mild one, you know, I, and it was mild. I thank God for that. I'd hate to have a bad one. But anyhow, I thank the Lord for the mild one I had. But I figured that since that happened, I ought to be left off. They ought to go ahead and do their job without any noose hanging over my neck. But, uh, you know, they see me running around and I look so hale and hearty. And I assure them I have no premonitions of death that I really feel like I'm going to live forever, and I know I am. And uh, the first Sunday I spoke in the local church, my wife got nervous and jittery, and I had to reassure her. I said, honey, sit down and, and don't be nervous, dear. I'm all right. I'm, I'm going to make it okay. And uh, I said, if you don't behave, I'm going to make you stay home from church for a few weeks until you can get where you can take this kind of thing. <laughs> and so she's, she's straightened right up and she bites her lip and says, amen, once in a while. So I'm, don't worry about me. I believe God has got work for me to do. Someone said, well, the people are a little uneasy. They're, they're afraid. They're, you don't need to be afraid. If I go to heaven, why, hallelujah. Praise God, you got a lot of good guys here that'll carry on the work. This is not a one-man thing. It was a time when it was more or less. It's not so anymore. This is God's work. It's a vine of God's planning. God will bury Moses or bury Joshua, and he'll carry on his work like he always has. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Right. Now, what that means, he's the God of each succeeding generation. Right. Abraham conks out, and hallelujah, here comes Isaac. Isaac drifts off to heaven, and well, glory be to God, here comes a character called Jacob that's rather hard to comprehend. So after I'm gone off from the scene, there'll be some Jacob or Isaac or Joshua or Elijah or Elisha. There'll be something that'll come along. Just stay in that corner long enough, honey, and there's always a streetcar that'll come by and pick you up. So you just keep that in mind. Don't, 
No, that's, that's not the important thing. The important thing is the work of God. Well, say amen. How many of you are glad I'm happy? Say amen. amen. How many of you are happy that I'm healthy? Say amen. amen. <laughs> all right, now let's stay that way all evening. Now, uh, I've, got a, I've got a glass of water here. And so you see, I'm in good shape. I'm good for a long time. I hope you're settled in there. Are you in a good humor? Sure. Amen. amen. I trust you'll stay that way. Reading one verse of Scripture and making some remarks that I trust will be helpful to us all. Acts 1.8. And I'm reading this. Frankly, I usually try to come to an occasion like this as something fresh. This is old and stale. So I suppose, unless God comes, anything is old and anything is stale. And, uh, but ye shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You and I are facing turbulent and difficult and perplexing times. And the future is going to be more perplexing and difficult than the present moment. The disciples of Jesus in the first century that heard these words were facing turbulent and difficult times. And their future was going to be more perplexing than the days of the crucifixion that were past. But they knew he was alive, and they knew he would be alive forevermore, for death had been raised of its prey. Death could not hold its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, they knew he was alive, and he was alive forevermore. And so this promise that Jesus gave his disciples is really the prelude to all Christian history. Anything that happens from the day of Pentecost on happened because of the fulfillment of that promise. And the interesting and scintillating history that we read in the Acts of the Holy Ghost is there because it is written as a fulfillment of that promise. And whenever and wherever the church has been filled with the Holy Ghost, there and then the church has written dramatic and interesting and scintillating history. My dear friend, you can pick this book of Acts up and read anywhere and find fire and turmoil and problems and glory and miracles and the supernatural. And on almost every page you find a man who is filled with faith, who is filled with power, who is filled with wisdom, and who is filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's the secret of the book of Acts. And that's the secret of interesting church history. You have never read the history of some uh, dull drone because he was never filled with the Holy Ghost, but you have read histories of men who were dull intellectually, who were dull and lackluster as far as personalities were concerned until they were filled with the Holy Ghost. I raised a question some time ago. One of the characters is here tonight sitting on the platform, but I said, who in the world would have ever dreamed that two dumbbells like Hermie Knoll and Walter Hobbs would ever become uh, school teachers and schoolmasters and uh, school leaders and head up uh, schools and maybe academies and sit on college boards. Well, we've got fellows on college boards sitting around the country that don't have an eighth grade education. Well, how did they get there? They're sitting on those boards helping direct young lives today because they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Friends, the baptism of the Holy Ghost upon his people is the secret to interesting history. I never dreamed that a dumb Dutchman like Hermie Noll would be a school teacher, but he is. I never thought Walter Hobbs would be. And there are a lot of other fellows who are in the same boat, Walter. 
Amen. A lot of other fellows that are running schools that aren't too sharp as far as the world is concerned, but something happened to them in an upper room experience, and they're maintaining the fullness of the Holy Ghost, and the businessmen downtown wonder how in the world does the guy run that school. I wonder how those people do that over there. I wonder how that thing it carries on. You know that little thing outside of town or that little thing over there on the other end of the burg or the thing just across the railroad track? Well, you know, they've moved now and they got this lovely new building and I, they have a lovely facility. How did it all happen? I understand that the guy that heads that up only has an eighth grade education. I understand he flunked out on a lot of things. Well, what happened? Well, he got saved, really genuinely converted. And then he tarried until he had a genuine Pentecostal experience and was filled with the Holy Ghost. It's not... It's not the shack or the shell or how suave he's dressed. The main thing, my friend, is that that dwelling from the cranial to the heels is filled with the Holy Ghost, that every atom and every cell in that personality is not only redeemed but is sanctified in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So if you want to read interesting history, there are men around here who could write some pretty interesting history. Take a dumbbell like Bruce Hawthorne this morning, who the Lord said to him, said, Bruce, I don't want you in this Bible school. I want you out of this Bible school. Lord, where in the world do you want me? I want you in the slums of Akron, Ohio. I want you to set up a rescue mission. But here's a guy that was ordered out of the school. He left there, and preachers and superintendents and bishops shook their head, said, oh, George's boy could have made something, but it looks like he's going to go off on the same dead end that his father followed. And so there's Bruce today doing a tremendous work for alcoholics and has been doing it for 20 years. And I'm happy to find other young men and young women around our movement who are springing up here and there on the right hand and the left who have caught a vision of what can be done. My dear friend, let me say this. The man or the woman that is filled with the Holy Ghost has a future. And the man or the woman that is not filled with the Holy Ghost has no future. And what I say for the man, I say for any movement or for any church, it is the baptism, not only that initial experience, but the maintenance of that experience from day to day, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon us day by day that is the essential for effective and scintillating and interesting church history. And I'll tell you the kind of answers to prayer you heard here today could be multiplied by other men sitting on this platform where the miracles have happened in Tulsa or they've happened in Springfield or they've happened to Ori and the islands over there in Cuba, been on, in the uh, Cuban doing some missionary work with Mr. Castro. It's amazing how Ori has got old Castro wrapped right around his finger. He sort of shuttles in and out of there preaching the gospel. The Holy Ghost will tell you what to say in that self hour. Well, what do you say when you're hauled in before authorities? Well, don't make up some kind of pretty little speech written in sort of a lovely uh, Palmer scroll. Just keep filled from day to day. And in the self-same hour, the Holy Ghost shall tell you what you shall say in that day and in that hour. And it'll be surprise you and shock the devil. We can't tell the devil all of our secrets ahead of time. There has to be a few things kept from him. I can't keep anything from the devil, but the Holy Ghost can pour something into my head into my heart, into my mind, into my soul. And frankly, I'm shocked half to death much of the time at what I've said and what I've done. And so are a lot of other people. <laughs> this promise is the answer to all the questions concerning the future. The disciple said, Lord, is this the time you're going to give the kingdom to Israel? And... The uh, master said, it's not for you to know the times and the season that's in the Father's hand. Those are in his power. And in due time, you shall receive power, the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you. There's some, all power belongs to me. There's some power you don't have. I keep some things for myself. They were nosy. They wanted to know whether the communists were going to overrun Israel. Israel. 
They were concerned whether their social security was going to hold up. Some of the women were concerned for fear their husband might marry after their husband was dead. I could answer that. The old boy will do it as sure as you curl up and die, sister. He'll, he'll find someone and someone will be dumb enough to pick him up and take care of him the rest of the way. So don't worry your head about that. Whatever the problems concerning the future are, well, the answer is being filled with the Spirit. Sure. There are people who say, well, what about the legalists? I think the legalists are going to take, take over. My friend, the answer is you stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, I think the liberals are going to take over. They're not going to take over if we stay filled with the Holy Ghost. The only way the convention movement is going to stay alive and be a viable movement is for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost today. There is no future for us unless we're filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the answer for, for today and is the answer for the tomorrows of our organization. Daniel Steele and Methodist men sat down and formulated a plan that they hoped would keep Syracuse University, a new university in the mainstream of Methodism, true to the Bible, true to God, true to the doctrine of holiness. Why, before Daniel Steele had ever passed away, he was pushed off from the board and liberals came in and disappeared. So Steele wrote a book, and in the book he raised the question, how can we maintain orthodoxy? And he answered his own question. The only way to maintain orthodoxy, it's not by structure, it's not by monuments, it's not by disciplines, it's not by manuals, it's not by creeds, it's not by, it's not by commandments, it's not by 101 other mechanical methods we use. His answer was the only way we can maintain spiritual orthodoxy Orthodoxy is to maintain the fullness of the Holy Ghost upon us. The Holy Ghost is the conservator of orthodoxy. And if this thing dies, it'll be because we lose the Holy Ghost. If this organization gets cold and indifferent and barren, it'll be because we've lost what our forefathers had. Right. You know, there comes a time when every movement must die. When a thing dies... The place of its death becomes the scene of a resurrection. If a corn of wheat die into the ground, it abides alone except it die. And when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. The place of its death becomes the scene of a resurrection. Now, men like Emery and Griffith and, and uh, French and others, you know, they early men that were in this movement, they're either dead or they're, they're vegetating. They're of no virtual use to us today because of physical problems. And they're dead and they're gone. But before they died physically, they died spiritually. They died to the world and the spirit of the world and the materialism of the age. And they're the men that gave birth to what you and I see today. But we have come to a crisis moment in the convention movement. And that means there has to be a new death. This convention must be a place where, some, where people die. We're not hearing the death rod. People are not dying in the likeness of his death. Therefore, we're not having a resurrections in the likeness of his resurrection. And one of the main problems stemming out of our lack of, uh, of anointing and fire and blessing today is the fact that we are, we are long on pomp and ceremony and short on funerals. Right. Amen. We'll only have a future as we die in the likeness of his death. The place of that death will become the scene of a glorious resurrection. There the baptism of the Holy Ghost will take place. And that mighty baptism is an imperative for us. It's our only guarantee that we have a tomorrow. The convention will have no tomorrow unless we're baptized with the Holy Ghost anew and afresh today. Well, someone said, didn't you preach that three years ago or well, something like that? But it's still true today and it's still the imperative need of the moment that we live in. I'm distressed about the preaching of the day, the kind of preaching I do and the kind of preaching others do. But actually, the way it looks, the preaching's going to get worse than it is. Well, what do you mean? I mean there's a dearth of A number one preachers coming on the scene. That's right now. Hey, man, this has always been a preaching convention. And one reason I hold back, I know there's so many others that do the job so much better. But I tell you what's happening. We are not producing the models. We are not producing the models. And I say, that looks like, Smool, you're not the right kind of a model. You're not the kind of a model. Nobody wants to be a Smool. They want to be a Swindoll. They want to be a Gothard. They want to be a, a Hendrix. They want to be some other 
uh, party, you know, that's on radio or television where the, the heroes have changed. Instead of it being Griffith and Faye and Emery and French as our spiritual heroes, we, anybody listening to what I'm saying? I'm telling you the truth. They're looking in other directions. We're looking around. And dear friends, we, we, have, we, we have to produce models. That means we're going to have to produce people who are dying and people who are dead, who are dead to the world, who are dead to their reputation, who are dead to their future, who are dead to their denomination, who are dead to their school, who are dead to people's opinion, who are dead to the world. So dead. Amen. We need to hear the old theme again. Lord, drive the nails nor heed the groans. My flesh may writhe and make its moans, but in this way and this alone, let me die. Let me die to the world and its applause, to its customs, its fashions, its laws, to all who hate the humbly cross. Let me die. Let me die so dead that no desire shall rise to be good or great or wise in any but the Savior's eyes. Let me die. Let me die. When we die in the likeness of his death, that place will be a place of a glorious resurrection. The stones will be rolled away. The obstacles will be carried aside. The barriers will be pushed back. And, sir, out of that place will come a new person rising in the fullness of the Holy Ghost to astound the world and to magnify God and to defeat the devil. That's exactly what God wants to do for us. We're so busy polishing our pens and pencils and, and uh, garnishing our diplomas and looking at our honorary degrees and cultivating our, our, uh, our wardrobes. And I'm talking about myself as well as anyone else. We're so busy with material interests and material concerns uh, until those of us that did die a few years ago maybe ought to hit the mourner's bench and die all over again in the likeness of his resurrection. I've tried to take a long, hard look at life life in the last couple of months. I tell you, sir, I'm concerned about living all out for God. To the best of my ability, I always have. I haven't never spared myself. But I said, oh, God, in the few days or weeks or hours that are left to me, don't let me hold back. Don't let me hold myself. Don't let me constrain myself. Let me burn out for thee, dear Lord. Burn and wear out for thee. Don't let me rust or my life be a burden, my God, to thee. Use me me and what little I have, dear Lord, and get me so close to thee, I feel a throb of the great heart of God, and let me burn out for thee. That's my prayer. Here's our answer for today, and here's our answer for all the questions and problems of our future. The channel is wide open to men and women who are filled with the Holy Ghost. There are no barriers and obstacles that keep men and women filled with the Holy Ghost from being what God wants them to be. Yes. Amen, sister. God can take the nothings and the nobodies, yes. the have-nots, the deprived. Yes. Yes. He can lift you out and yes. lift you up. Old Dave up to Graff, after he got sanctified, rode out through the field on his horse, Richard Payne, and said, I'm nothing and nobody, and I'm glad it was settled that way. Oh, that men and women filled with the Holy Ghost would understand. They, they understand the need. They understand the day. John Wesley riding across the English countryside, accosted by a robber one night, that spirit-filled man, having lost his watch and having lost what little money he was carrying upon himself, saw the rider riding off in the brush and in the shadows of the evening called out and said, My friend, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Well, it disappeared in the brush, moved on his way. Wesley got on his horse, went on his way, went to a preaching point and forgot the incident, one of many, many thousands that happened to him. Better than 20 years later, walking across one of the, many of the bridges in London, walking across one of those bridges, he was accosted by a fellow over six foot tall who looked down on John Wesley, who was approximately five foot two, weighed about 120 pounds, dripping wet. He looked down on him with a, had a huge head and a flowing mane of hair and a black thing, had a huge box uh, uh, clutched underneath his arm. And he said to him, he said, be you John Wesley? Wesley looked up and said, yes, sir, I am John Wesley. He said, threw his arms around him. Wesley had no idea what the giant was about to do. He said, thank God, my brother, I have found you. 
and gave him a warm embrace. After some of the excitements had subsided, Wesley wasn't too easily excited about anything, but he certainly was not accustomed to this kind of a greeting. And he said to him, he said, well, sir, who are you? He said, do you remember a highwayman that held you up one night and took your purse and, and sent you off in the darkness without any money? He said, yes, I do. He said, do you remember what you said that night? He said, I do not. He said, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanseth us from all sin. He said, that struck me like a narrow. I couldn't get away from it. It struck me in my heart. I went down the way. I went down the way with the arrow in my heart. He said, I got saved. I'm a Baptist preacher, and I've been preaching the gospel now for almost 20 years. A man filled with the Holy Ghost is never at the mercy of his enemies. Our problem is today we're trying to fill the minds without making sure the heart is filled. And I would tell my schoolmen whom I love and revere, I am here without a diploma or without degree of any kind, but I would tell the educators who are here tonight, make the first priority the baptism of the Holy Ghost upon the hearts and the minds of your men, young men and women make the number one issue in their heart and life. Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you maintaining the full supply of the Spirit? This is imperative. No matter how much uh, else we may pour into their head, how much homiletics or uh, what a great homiletician they may turn out to be, if their heart is not on fire, this cold intellectual flame will blast everything uh, that comes in its past. There must be a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's amazing amazing what the Holy Ghost can do with King James. It's amazing what the Holy Ghost can do with fractured English. It's amazing what the Holy Ghost can do without Greek or Hebrew or other verbs or adverbs or, or people that can't understand a dangling participle from a ruptured sentence such as you're hearing tonight. This is not a plea for English, but it's a plea for priority, that the priority be the baptism of the Holy Ghost upon our hearts and upon our people and in our schools and in our churches and in our and in our prayer meetings and wherever we're at, that's the primary need. Yes, yes. Right. Right. With me, it's a matter of priorities, keeping the priorities straight. After all, Stephen was a man and under a hail of stones, he went down to death. And on his way down, his face shone like an angel. So the, the witness said, I saw him go. His face shone not like the devil, but like an angel. And the fellow who was falling was a man who was full of faith and full of power and full of wisdom and full of the Holy Ghost, Brother Paul. And what did he do? He died. The place of his death became the scene of the resurrection of the apostle Paul. Paul went down the highway with those words ringing in his mind, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. That word fell from the lips of the man who was full of the Holy Ghost. It lodged in his heart, deep and sound and sure. And there he had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And a man was turned around. One man went out, but another man went on. The man who went out never wrote a book. The man who went out never did anything great except testify with a shining face. My dear friend, you can have a radiant countenance. You can have a shining face. And the future belongs to the man, Archie Atwell, that is filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Glory be to God. Amen. I believe this is the real secret. Amen. Amen. The future is wide open to people who are filled and cleansed and empowered by the Holy Ghost. Matthew Harden, there are no barricades. There are no closed doors. There are no obstacles. There are no mountains that cannot be traversed. There's no seas that cannot be crossed. There's no channel that cannot be bridged. There's no obstacle that cannot be overcome. There's no song that cannot be sung. There's no sermon that cannot be preached to the man who is filled with the Holy Ghost. I can't write an editorial. I can't preach a sermon. I can't organize a convention. I can't chair a platform. I can't raise an offering. My dependence is on the Holy Ghost. And I pray daily, fill me with thy hallowed presence. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Give me an overflow of thy spirit. But there's no future for us unless we're filled. If you're sitting here tonight half empty, half full, then you're half empty. 
I would to God no one would leave this auditorium tonight, Richard Beckham, but what they leave with an overflow. Now, honey, you just relax, dearie. I'm okay. Amen. The future's wide open to people who are filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And there's no obstacle in our way if you're filled with the Spirit. God help us for Jesus' sake. We're so used to looking at our problems and our barricades and our difficulties and our perplexities. We look at somebody's skin and say they're black and they can't get in. We look at somebody, he's a Roman Catholic and he, we can't get him past the Virgin Mary. We look at a Jehovah Witness and we say, well, there's too many theological problems there. And we're looking for spoon-fed little characters that somehow or other sort of fit our mold. If they were a former free Methodist or Nazarenes or Wesleyans, well, there's a little hope for them. Nonsense! The gospel that I preach to you in the power of the Holy Ghost has the ability to change and utterly and totally and perfectly transform Every man and woman and boy and girl, there's no hard cases with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, hallelujah. Yeah. You don't have to have your youth despised. God wants to set our young people on fire. He wants our boys and girls filled with the Holy Ghost, shouting the aisles, running the aisles, praising God. This altar's open. You can get saved. You can get filled with the Holy Ghost. You can mind God. You can have God meet your need right now. Hallelujah. is the provision of power to face the challenge of the future and the challenge of the hour and the challenge of the day. What a challenge we have. What a day we have. Someone has said we need to ask God to help us to meet for strength to meet our problems. We want God to give us problem to give us power to meet the problems of our day. We don't want problems built to our size. We need the endowment of the power to meet the problems of our day. And God will help us to do it every step of the way. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, friends, we have a gospel for this day. We have a gospel for this time to meet the challenge of this hour. These men at Jerusalem, they met them from Medes and Persians and from Cappadocia and the islands of the sea. The scavenged from the earth were brought into Jerusalem at this time. But here is the adequacy of the gospel, the thing that happened in the upper room to the 120 disciples when they poured out of there on the day of Pentecost. That thing that happened to them was the commitment the, of a gospel. Peter held the keys in his hand. He walked out into the marketplace of the first century world and he inserted the key of the gospel in the lock and he opened the door to the black and the yellow and the brown and the red regardless of where they came from or what their name or what their idiosyncrasies or their personalities may have been the door was open to them and what a grand and glorious door it was and oh hallelujah 3,000 found their way into the kingdom that day 5,000 and 7,000 and multitudes of priests and others came into the 
kingdom at that very time. All because Peter had the key. And then, friend, the keys were handed to the preachers of this day. Every one of you pastors have the key. The key is here in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought not to be piddling around with a lot of second-rate instruments and things. We ought to be working out of this grand and glorious book. We ought to be opening the door. But, Brother Smooth, you don't know what the problems are. These people stink. Their hair is long. They're refugees from a shower tub or a bathtub. They don't look like they've had a halfway decent meal. They're shabby. They're scabby. They're scurvy. They're dirty. Why, they're hardly worth our time. Our people can't stand to have people like this come in. They turn up their nose. Their cologne is insufficient to cover over the odor that they bring with them. Brother Smooth, you don't seem to understand. Oh, but I do. I came from the wrong side of the tracks. I was a dead-end kid. I came from that part of town. And my dear friend, the preacher opened the door one night. The gospel came into my heart and locked my door and showed the deep scurvy, depravity, filth of my soul. And then, sir, I opened it wide and the glorious blood of Jesus Christ poured into my heart and it purified and renovated and sanctified and filled my heart. And, sir, out from that place, something happened in this young fellow's life. It was the power of the gospel turned life in this young life. And that same power is available today. That power is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth. And preacher, brother, you have the key. And sister, you have the key. Sunday school teacher, you have the key. The key is in your hand. If the fire's in your heart, turn the key. If the fire's in your heart, open the door. If the fire's in your heart, let them in. Glory be to God. Well, preach it, sister. Preach it. This is the church's ever-widening responsibility to the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. Open the door. Let the captives free. Set the captives at liberty. Heal those who are, who are brokenhearted. Bind up those who are bruised. You have the key, brother. Use it. Amen. Glory be to God. But sad to say, many of our churches are playgrounds instead of battlegrounds. Many people sort of feel the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for our enjoyment rather than for our employment. Most of our people are more interested in going out to the playground and getting playground and getting on the merry-go-round and riding round and round, Archie. And one fellow gets on this horse and he rides for a while. Poop, 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 poop. And he goes around till his, till his dime's exhausted. Yeah. Then he bawls and squalls and gets off and he wants to get on another horse. It's a different horse, Kitty, but it's the same old tune. And every time you have a revival meeting, they jump on that horse and they ride that same thing around the same old merry-go-round, the same old tune. I'm sorry I lost out. I'm sorry I had trouble. I meant to keep the victory, but I didn't make my restitution. If you'd really pray through good one time, you'd get your horse on the right track and you'd get out of there, sir. Well, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Amen. And that's all a lot of preachers are running is just a merry-go-round. Every revival is just a merry-go-round. Brother Small, would you come over and puff on our little old bellows-operated merry-go-round, make us go around for a few days. And poor old preachers go over and Archie Adwell and Darnell, and we go in and we puff and we puff and we blow, and that wheeze is around for a few days, and we look around and we make ourselves believe something happened when we know nothing ever really did happen. Right. And we shake hands with ourselves and congratulate ourselves that we had enough money to get the evangelist out of town. Uh -huh. Amen. And we look around for somebody else to blow up our merry-go-round again in the springtime. And that's the way we've been going. We need a baptism of the Holy Ghost in the parsonage. We need a baptism of the Holy Ghost in the schools. We need a baptism of the Holy Ghost on the evangelists. A lot of evangelists haven't had a new sermon or a new idea in the last 39 years. Amen. It's the same old junk, the same old trash. If they didn't have television, Bob DeHara, wedding ring, and divorce to preach, they wouldn't even have a gospel. You say, you're in favor of that? I'm not in favor of Bob DeHara, wedding rings, televisions, and divorce. I'm not in favor of it. But there's something more than that. 
Amen. We need a mighty visitation from God that gets our people out of the nursery. We need a revival that will transform our nurseries into armories. So many of our pastors are busy on Sunday morning fashioning a new gadget for the kiddies to play with, you know. Some kind of a new doll or a new little rattle. And we sort of, you know, and so the church has become a nursery. And they're in the nursery. And we're rattled. Isn't that nice, honey? And we had to be careful they don't get anything dangerous like a prayer meeting going yeah. that we didn't authorize. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, Amen. Amen. <laughs> I told you I might say something I ought not to. <laughs> Amen. Say amen to old Newton out there. <laughs> oh, if you can't say amen, say oh me or oh, oh, oh or something. Say something anyhow. Amen. But friends, God give us a visitation from heaven where our churches are no longer nurseries, but armories. Pastor, every Sunday morning you ought to open this book up with a message that will help that layman in the pew get, a, get an edge on his scythe or get an edge on his tool. Amen. You ought to have something fresh, something hot, something new, something burning on your own soul, fresh out of the Word of God. Not a bunch of dry goods and notions. You ought to have something burning on your heart that'll cut the, cut the dull metal in his own soul, that'll send him out of there with his spear shining and his sword a-glitter, put an iron in his soul, send him out the door to Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or wherever he works, ready to do battle with the devil and the powers of hell. But sad to say, many of the stuff that the preachers preach on Sunday morning are dull and insipid and lackluster with no gumption, no glory, no anointing until the people go out and say, ho-hum, give me my hammock or give me my bed or give me a cup of tea or a Pepsi and send me to bed, honey, and don't wake me up for tonight because I've had all I can stomach this morning. God bless the truth. Amen. Pastors, we owe it to God and we owe it to the handful under our hand that go to the church with something valid and something biblical and something scriptural, something warm, something fresh from heaven to give our people so they can stand, so they can war, so they can fight, so they can carry on the conflict. But many of our places are nurseries instead of armories, and they are playgrounds. That's because in many places, many of our people do not understand that this world is the battleground. They think this is the world for our enjoyment. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is for me to enjoy. That's so I can speak in tongues, or I have the gift of healing, or this is for my own enjoy. And you know, while we don't believe in this matter of speaking with, in tongues as a, as a group and officially, the same philosophy, the same basic philosophy is the philosophy that we're saturated with as a rule. Now, you're different tonight. It must be we have the best of the cream of the crop here tonight. But a good many places in the country, you cannot marshal a corporal's guard unless you have an entertainment. If you have the band or you have the choir, you have a puppet show, you have a sleight of hand artist, you have a movie. I'm surprised. I'm disappointed. I'm amazed at the crutches and the props that are making their way into the conservative holiness churches where preaching is being set aside, where gimmicks and gadgets and no and ideas are taking the place for the rugged proclamation of the word. The Sunday before Easter, I went through our church paper. I found something very refreshing, something I didn't find in many of the holiness churches around the country. I found out that the Presbyterians were having preaching twice on Sunday morning and once on Sunday night. And I found that the Presbyterians had announced preaching every night of the week. Well, apparently the Presbyterians have made a complete turn. Apparently they found out that, that the other gimmicks, you know, the projectors and the lanterns and the slides and the religious movies and even the cantatas and the other special thing that takes over, uh, they decided they'd, they'd opt for preaching. I'm so sorry at times. Now, I like cantatas. I like these special things. But I'm a little bit disturbed in my mind at the things that are usurping the proclamation of the spoken word of God. I'm disturbed in my heart that, uh, that we maybe speak once again back to the models. Maybe the fellows can't preach. Maybe they're not in the word. Maybe they're not lost in wonder and rapture and praise in the word of God. We're substituting so many things are crowding in and taking the place of the word that I'm disturbed. 
disturbed and I am I am amazed that we would in such a short time accommodate ourselves to these crutches. It only tells me one thing and I'm coming to a close. You can say amen on that if you want to. That would be a good place to come in. Amen. But my dear friend, if we turn our back on the emphasis of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if we fail to continue to emphasize not only a definite conversion, but a clear-cut experience of holiness, and if we go to seed on the experience of holiness without insisting that our men and women and our preachers continue to proclaim the need for the continual infilling of the Holy Ghost, then friends, we have no tomorrow and we have no future. That's so. Now, tomorrow morning, you're going to hear one of the finest holiness preachers I know of in the country, V.O. Agin. And I don't know what he's going to say, but I know it's going to be well worth listening to. But I want you to understand that there's an emphasis that's needed. Yes. And that besides getting saved and sanctified, it's being kept filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And friend, this is imperative. How many of you people are shaking your head this way are really filled tonight? How many of you people have had an overflow? How many of you prayed through in the last 26 hours? How many of you really got blessed? How many of you used to get blessed and run around the church and the tabernacle or used to stand up with tears streaming down your cheeks? You'd get emotional about your religion, but you're cold and lackluster. You know, the, the Baptist preacher, the Baptist lawyer last night, David Gibbs, with his earnestness and his unction, put a lot of holiness preachers to shame by his earnestness, by his unction, by his adherence to the book of God. I thank God for his ministry and his message. But many of us stand condemned. And many of our men speak without authority. They speak without power. Right. And many of the sermons are the same old straw they hashed over before. They come forth with nothing new or fresh. And others have gone off into scholasticism and, and a hayseed academy without any real, with no fire on their soul. It's time we all came out of the woodwork wherever we're at. Yeah. Time we came out of the brush wherever we may be. This movement needs something from heaven. We need something that bears the mark of the celestial city on us, Matthew Harden. Old codgers like you and I need this. Mark Russell, you need it. Amen. Every last one of us here. It's not enough to preach it. It's not enough to organize it. And unless we do, something's going to happen to us. I tell you what's going to happen. The crowd that contends for the old revivalistic attitude, they're going to become more and more hard and harsh and legalistic. And the outreach crowd, the crowd that's for growth and the crowd that's for outgrow, uh, outreach and uh, so on, uh, they're going to sort of crystallize around their side. And you're going to see a classic confrontation develop in the conservative circles. The one crowd excluding the other side. Let me tell both sides something while I think you got the wax out of your ears. We need both. We need the old-fashioned radical second blessing, uh, knock them down, drag them out, uh, second blessing, uh, holiness preaching. We need that kind. We need revivalistic preaching. On the other hand, we need the outreach. We need the passion. We need the outgrowth. We need the discipling. We need the teaching. I pray God will give both sides sense enough to see you need one another. None of you people are smart enough to operate your own ship alone. You'll be like a bird with your wings clipped. You'll fly in a circle. But there's a tendency on one crowd to go to scholasticism and study and methodology and, and projectors and all that sort of thing and, and buses. And that's, that's one side of the coin. And the other crowd has a tendency to get more and more shrill and radical and imbalanced in their approach. We need each other to keep the balance. We need each other to reach the loss of the dying world. We dare not indulge in the luxury of going off somewhere and preening our proud feathers and congratulating ourselves on our yesterdays. We need to humble ourselves. Both crowds need to get together. Those of you that have pulled swords from one side to the other, you need to ask God to forgive you. You need to ask one another to forgive you. We need to pour in around an altar and ask God to forgive every last one of us for criticism and for backbiting and tailbearing and slashing and undercutting and underhandedness of any kind. We need a pile of pile of junk here tonight that the Holy Ghost fire would 
third strike and set the whole business on fire. This place ought to be turned into a crucible where the fire of God is hot to melt away the dross, where the dross and the pride and the coldness and the dry prayers and the coldness and the carelessness of our lives would become to the top and would be taken care of and our hearts would be purified and our souls would be in red hot heat for God and for the Holy Ghost and for a lost and a dying world. Well, are you filled with the Holy Ghost tonight? Are you cleansed? Are you sanctified? Do you have a passion for the lost? It's not hard to get me down. Let some fellow start talking about successful soul winning and I, I start to sweat and, or perspire. That sweat is the Greek for perspire. And uh, I get the whim-whams and the isms get a hold of me. And I have, uh, because I'm going under. I holler, blub, blub, Lord, give me a promise that I'll, and that God has helped me, but I got a long way to go. But I tell you, friends, there's a passion that men that Rob French and Glenn Griffith and S.I. Emery and some of the other men, there's a passion that they had that we don't have, that we're not getting down to. And I'm putting myself in that. And I'm not going to say that I don't weep over people who are lost. I do. But I'm going to say that basically that basic passion, that pity that yearns, that, com that compassionate, uh, merciful, tender disposition, we could use a lot more of it. I could use a lot of it. Frankly, this is what characterized Glenn Griffith. In the final analysis, Glenn, was not, Glenn Griffith was not a great homiletician. Not many people are carrying his outlines around in their Bible. He was not an orator until he would get himself lost in glorifying the Christ of the gospel. Then he would be very eloquent. But basically he wasn't eloquent. He, he could be dull and dry like the rest of us. But we all remember Glenn Griffith because he's a man who had a heart. I remember a story he told. Will you let me tell the story and I'll close. I remember a story told on a number of occasions which was my privilege to be there. It came out of his experiences during World War I. He said that it was during uh, the great hold in northern France between the German and the French armies and the American uh, and British armies facing the Germans. They'd been locked in that great land encounter with a no man's land of some one to three miles between them for over 18 months. And the Allies were trying to break through, trying to launch an advance. And of course, the Germans had been trying the same thing. Thousands of men were slain. Small patrols would go out in the blackness of night with their wire cutters, with torpedoes, with explosives, go out and try to blast a hole through and make a path into the enemy lines with no success. One night, the captain of Brother Griffith's group and uh, Griff and the other fellows went out on their belly across no man's land. And when they got out there, pretty close to enemy territory, of course, their spotters were out. And someone sh from the enemy side shot up a, a flare, and then another flare lit up the air. And there was a chatter of machine guns. And then the lights went out. Men were hit. They all crawled and scurried and got back to their trenches as quick as they could. When they got back to the trench, Griff said the captain called them together and called the roll. In World War I, they had a buddy system. Everybody had a buddy. They, the captain called the roll down the line. When he called his buddy's name, he didn't answer. He called his name again. No answer. Did anybody see my buddy? Guy spoke up and said, yes, Captain. Said when the flare went off and the machine gun shattered, said he got hit. He said, you know where he's at? Yes, sir, I think I know where he's at. He thought probably the captain was going to send him out there to maybe bring him in. 
But he said the captain who had laid off his service revolver, strapped it on his side, put a few extra rounds of ammunition in his belt, and disappeared in the darkness on his belly. He got out in the darkness of the night there, where the patrol had been. Danger every, every foot of the way, on his belly, crawling. At last, he came to a body. It was cold, stiff. No, it wasn't. He looked it over carefully, felt of it, called a name. No answer. Moved on, satisfied that wasn't his buddy. He heard a moan. He went from, from this body to another, to where he heard the moan and the groan, and located another body. It was his buddy. His buddy was hit bad, but he was alive. His buddy couldn't understand why he was there, but little by little, he put him on his back and he crawled through the blackness, worming his way through the darkness. He covered two or 300 yards. Matter of fact, he was right near the edge of the trench when another flare lit up the sky, this was the, this was the tactic. When this flare was high in the sky and the battlefield was lighted, the captain and the buddy were trapped in the light. There was a burst of machine gun fire. The captain and the buddy were so near the edge of the, of the trench that the captain gave one final heave and he and his buddy rolled into the ditch. But the captain never came out. The captain was hit mortally and died. His buddy was taken by the medics and speeded to a hospital some miles distant. And there began a torturous recovery. After he had recovered a little bit so that he knew what was going on, he wondered why the captain didn't come to see him. He asked, where's the captain? Well, at first they were evasive. But at last, they couldn't evade it any longer. He was coming along, well, where's the captain? Well, they said, Bud, he went out and got you located. You probably didn't know it, but when he got right to the edge, the flare lit up the skies and the Jerry's let him, let him have it. He's gone. Griff said, that buddy rolled over with his face to the wall and said, why did he do it? He was a captain. I'm only a private. He was a captain. Why did he do it? I'm only a private. My friend, our captain, went all the way for every one of us. But he came back. But I'm still just a private. But he's my captain. He's given everything for me. I think I know how that buddy in the hospital felt. I think if that buddy had anything to say, I think he'd have laid down his life for the captain. They were buddies. My captain's gone. Oh yes, he ever lives, but I'm here and the battle is left in your hand and mine. I'm just a private, but I tell you, sir, I want to stand tall Amen. and straight in these last days and be the best kind of a private I can be. And the only way I can be the best kind of a private is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Not just partially filled, not emotionally filled, not charismatically filled, but vitally filled, yes. literally filled, filled with the Holy Ghost. Are you filled with the Holy Ghost tonight? Are you? I wonder, without any singing, just yet. Nobody leave the building. How many of you will say, Brother Smool, I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost. 
I was one time, but I'm low. I'm out of spiritual oil. I'm an empty vessel, or I'm only partially filled. And some of this I'm preaching may not fit into somebody's systematic theology, but it fits your experience. You step out. You're a private, but you want to be the best kind of a private you possibly can be. You want to be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl filled with the Holy Ghost. Would you, would you just walk out from where you're at? Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Spend